revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living in the solutions. Today, I'm really blessed to have two women on, two professionals, who can speak about healthcare from a different perspective. Each week, we speak about medicine from a physician perspective or from uh, people who are part of the healthcare delivery system, and we're trying to give people all sides of the medical uh, discussion. And I think we talk about doctors, but nurses are extremely important in the healthcare space. I remember when I was a medical student and resident, the people I learned most from were the nurses that I was on call with and, and interacted with. And I was really blessed. We had a nurse and, and physician collegial program in my medical school in Mount Sinai, and we got to really understand what it meant to be a nurse. And it wasn't easy at all because you guys were on the front line. You were taking care of patients when we were off doing other things, and if you didn't, if we didn't have a good nursing staff, nothing would run right. And I, I've seen from a physician's perspective what it's been like on the front line and how the changes have happened. And I was really honored and blessed to meet a nurse, um, Nurse Hamilton, Iris Hamilton, at a it was a, a function about uh, CBD and and medical marijuana, and we started talking. And I really realized that. You have a voice that needs to get out there. You, we need to understand what it really means from the nursing perspective, what healthcare means, and, and how the delivery system has changed. And so I wanted to have you on, and also your colleague, Dr. Beth Harris, who's a certified acute care nurse practitioner and heart failure nurse, um, to come in and talk about the registered nurse practitioner standpoint, what the difference is now with training and, and what it means to deliver health care in a system that's really, I think, putting its foot on all of our necks, quite frankly. So I wanted to thank you both for coming to my show and, and spending time with me because I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So I, know I did a little long-winded uh, talk there, but I want, if you would both, tell me a little bit about how you, wh what drove you into nursing and to wanting to be a nurse, because I think it's a calling, just like being a physician. And I'll start off with you, Iris. What, what is the thing that, that made nursing so attractive to you? So for me, um, my first profession was a registered respiratory therapist. And I got into healthcare because of my mother. My mother um, is an asthmatic. Um, so I grew up um, where my dad and, and family would be going to the emergency room because she was having an asthma attack. We grew up in South Georgia, very rural area. So, you know, interestingly, I tell this story quite often. You know, my mother, um, you know, was basically treating her own medication, treating her own disease where she was buying primary mist. Um, back in the 80s, um, to treat her, her asthma. And once I went to college and, you know, I majored in um, respiratory therapy at Florida A&M, I learned that my mother was doing it all wrong. So I immediately, um, you know, found a pulmonologist for her. 
as well as an allergist, you know, just to really get things under control. And, you know, it really did, you know, highlight um, the advantage of having a clinician in the family that can really help you navigate, um, you know, the healthcare system. It's complex. A lot of folks don't really know what to do. So, you know, after, you know, being a registered respiratory therapist, naturally, we focused on, you know, a limit. It was a limited scope of practice. And being the person that I am, I wanted to be able to take care of the entire patient, not just the system. So I've always been very passionate about healthcare. But as I learned more, I wanted to do more. And that's what, you know, got me into, um, you know, the nursing profession. And from there, I've just, you know, been able to, you know, have a really um, positive, um, successful career and have been able to do a lot of things and really not only advocate for my parents that still reside in South Rural Georgia and identify, you know, providers um, for them in neighboring um, towns, you know, such as Tallahassee, Florida, because that's where some of the better specialists are that they need to see. But, you know, I've been able to really improve their overall quality of life and improve their health outcomes, and not just for them, but the community and all of my family, you know, around the country and around the world. I love it. And what about you, Dr. Harris? Yeah, um, I'm originally from Athens, Georgia, and my mother, she was a nursing assistant at a local um, community hospital. And I was always enamored by the fact that she would get up and go to work, and she had her uh, this was the days of the white uh, press uniforms, the thick white stockings and the um, nurse's shoes. And I remember as a kid, I always helped her get her shoes ready for her to go to work. And it was until I was actually had an opportunity to volunteer at the hospital. And it was the Catholic hospital, so I volunteered as a Miriam. And so I got to see the nurses in action. And um, many of them, you know, walked around. They were taking care of the patients. The patients uh, were always appreciative of the um, services that the nurses were providing to them, and they always encouraged me to, like, hey, one day you can become a um, nurse, uh, you know, when you grow up. And so I just, I got to see in that voluntary experience, I got to see both the what the physicians were doing and also what the nurses were doing, and I was just naturally gravitated towards um what I saw the nurses, uh, how they were providing the care for the patients, how they were educating the patients. I got to see that firsthand just from an observation standpoint and uh, just saw the appreciation of how patients, you know, treated the nurses. Um, they, they treated them extremely well and uh, made them um, and just revered them as somebody that was there to help them. And I also saw the ministry um, in nursing as well, as you said, that it's a calling. And, you know, saw how these uh, people, did, they just dedicated themselves to making sure that uh, patients were taken care of well, that they were educated about their disease processes, and um, just really took care of the whole uh, patient. And I, I love that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And even um, I went to Howard University, went to nursing school there, you know, and sometimes people, they say, hey, this is what I want to be when I grow up, and you start the process and you veer off and say, no, I want to do something differently. But even still, uh, just working with the patients in the Washington, D.C. area, just having an opportunity to be around uh, some great, uh, strong nurses just continued uh, my passion for the profession. And um, shortly after being a nurse for about three or four years, I made the decision to go back to school to obtain my master's to become a nurse practitioner. And I did that and um, just took uh, elevated my career to a different platform 
as far as uh, providing care for patients. And uh, ultimately, over the past couple of years, a few years ago, I made a decision to uh, go back to get a doctorate degree in nursing practice, and that allowed me the opportunity to try to put myself in a position to try to help transition and transform healthcare to make it better for the patients that we serve. Now, from my standpoint, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I know there's different, there's registered nurses, there's nurse practitioners, there's advanced nurse practitioners, I think, and now we have doctors of nursing. Is it, what's the difference? Because, you know, registered nurse is more clinical, am I correct? Is it more academic? Is it more, le- you know, going out and doing legislation, um, you know, population-based medicine? What is the difference? And does it does it mean that you're a less involved with the day-to-day patient care when you when you as you advance up the education ladder? So you can um, get a doctorate degree, either in a PhD in nursing, or either you can get a, a doctor of nursing practice. And so the PhD of nursing is more of an academic role. These are the um, people who usually do the research. Mm-hmm. And as far as the uh, doctor of nursing practice, we're, uh, most of us, is, this is a professional clinical doctorate. And so what happens is that a lot of times we're finding out that you have a lot of research-based uh, processes and evidence that's being generated, but there are really not people out there that are helping to actually put it, the application into practice. And so one of the partnerships between uh, nurses who have PhDs and uh, uh, the ones that we call DMPs, it's a collaboration. So you have one group that's actually generating um, new information, uh, new uh, evidence-based practices. And the doctor of nursing practice, it does a couple of things. It allows, um, if you happen to be a nurse practitioner, um, to allow you to uh, take your level of education to um to extend it to the fullest scope of your practice as far as with education. Um, if you, you could be an administrator and have a doctorate of nursing practice as well. Mm-hmm. And it just helps you understand a little bit more about the processes of healthcare, um, as far as, um, outcomes based, project based, um, information that you have and help to implement, um, implement uh, new changes within healthcare. It can allow you to be more in an advocacy role, more legislative a branch role. It can allow you to be more of administrative or you could just be a clinician. Okay. So uh, having the doctor to nursing practice, it, it doesn't just put you in a box as far as like uh, you can only do, you know, one thing with it. Mm-hmm. You actually can be in administration, you know, be within healthcare. Um, it, it allows you to do different things. The PhD also allows people opportunities to themselves to to become in other veins of um of the nursing process, whether it's education. Um, you know, you have PhDs that are um, you know working on with economics teams to try to um, help understand how healthcare economies are going. So mm-hmm. it it really it just opens the door for you to do more things. Understood. And now let's after that let's just take our our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. 
Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Each week I speak about our healthcare system and the problems with it. One of the main problems is the doctor-patient relationship. I've found that patients really crave time, the time to ask their doctor questions, and physicians crave the time to answer those questions in a thorough manner. Towards that end, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is pleased to announce a new video telemedicine service. We now offer consultation for second opinions and for people who'd like to learn more and ask questions about how to navigate the healthcare system in a cost-effective and efficient manner. Go to peachtreeentcenter.video-visits.com to learn more. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Each week I speak about our healthcare system and the problems with it. One of the main problems is the doctor-patient relationship. I've found that patients really crave time, the time to ask their doctor questions, and physicians crave the time to answer those questions in a thorough manner. Towards that end, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is pleased to announce a new video telemedicine service. We now offer consultation for second opinions and for people who'd like to learn more and ask questions about how to navigate the healthcare system in a cost-effective and efficient manner. Go to peachtreeentcenter.video-visits.com to learn more. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Beth Harris and Iris Hamilton, both um, native Georgians, actually, and nurses who are part of the, I think, the wave of healthcare that is bringing the nursing profession into the mainstream and helping to drive what constitutes healthcare in our country. And what I'm curious to know what you both think of the changes in the where nurses fit into the healthcare space. Well, again, I'll go back to, I guess, old school. There was really just clinical, not case management, a lot of other things that nurses are doing. It was strictly patient care. Do you find, or I'm curious to know, do you like the direction that that's going where there's other ancillary staff that has come in and become almost the front line? Um, technicians, nurse technicians, physician assistants. How does that fit in with your nursing training? Do you find that it works for you or do you feel more removed from patient care with all the other um, mid-level providers that are coming in? And either one, if you can answer that. Oh, my, but how about Iris, you start? I would say um, for, for me, you know, certainly, you know, I – I've been enamored, you know, with the overall, you know, nursing profession. You know, I think nursing, you know, certainly has made a lot of strides. Um, you know, for the 17th year in a row, um, nurses top Gallup poll for the most trusted profession. So I do think a lot of things are going in the right direction. And I have done, you know, care management uh, models um, for the last um, probably 19 years. And so it's something that I, I certainly, you know, believe in because I think 
the care coordination piece and, and really supporting, you know, your patients and or, you know, if you're working in the managed care industry, your, we call them members, um, you know, certainly it's, it's needed because oftentimes, as we know, um, back in the 70s, you know, the length of stay in a hospitalization was about 11 days. Now it's on average four days. So that means that people are, you know, coming in and getting out um, a lot sooner, a lot quicker. Um, however, you know, sometimes they still have a lot of complex issues. So I do think I like the fact of the more expanded role, you know, of nurses because I do like the fact of, you know, as a nurse, you don't always have to work at the bedside. You know, there's mm-hmm. case management, there's, you know, population health. There's a lot of things that you can focus on. And for me, I think that keeps a lot more nurses in the nursing profession. Perhaps maybe not at the bedside, but certainly at least they're not leaving, you know, the profession, you know, um, at the end of the day, which is a great thing considering some of the nursing shortage discussions that we know um, that we're continuing to have. And, you know, specifically in Georgia, you know, there's, you know, a couple of meetings in the next couple of weeks to talk about what can we do as a state to come back. Um, the nursing shortage. So I do like the fact of a lot of things are, you know, going in the right direction mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, a lot of opportunities um, for nurses. Even nurses are, you know, becoming part of, um, you know, various boards. There's an issue about there, nurses on board coalition. They want to have about 10,000 nurses on board by 2020. So I do like um, the more expanded approach in terms of nurses can do a lot more than just deliver you know, care at the bedside. Okay. You know, I, and I agree with that. I think a lot of the things that are happening is based off the, off, off of need. Um, you know, as far as, you know, case management came out of a need because we were looking at, you know, um, hospitalizations and people going home and making sure that they had things that they needed um, going forward at home. You know, you have home health nursing to be able to, um, a lot of these patients where they may have stayed in hospitals for, you know, weeks upon end, you stay in the hospital for five days and you'll have home health nursing support you when you go home. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it kind of expands the role of nursing to, like you said, just not necessarily the, at the bedside. You know, now ambulatory care nursing is increasing, having nurses and, and um, doctor's offices and clinics to be able to help support uh, the patients there. Um, but as well as having uh, nurses, you know, like I said, outside of the traditional framework of working at the bedside in the administration um, roles, um, understanding that um, although um, I think what people have started to realize over the years is that um, nursing can do more. Nursing has a voice and has an input. And when you look at a workforce that we're still over, th- you know, three to four million, um, you know, of the healthcare workforce, um, I don't think um, our roles are diminishing with the other, um, like nurse technicians or, mm-hmm. you know, utilizing physician's assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, it just means our role is expanding and we're collaborating with other healthcare disciplines to ensure, to ultimately ensure that the patient has the best outcome and the best level of care. When I think about this from a physician standpoint, I know how our, our workforce has changed and the physician assistants becoming the front line. From my perspective on the doctor side of it, I'm not really happy about it because the physician assistants are not as the training's different. It's not as long. They become the front line and, and it filters through them to the physicians depending on how the office is set up. But in general, they're, they're the intake and you have to depend and trust that intake in order to make a medical decision. 
I would think it's the same thing on the nursing side, isn't it? Are you, do you feel comfortable that the people who are nurse technicians, for example, know enough, have enough um, background, enough, you know, breadth of knowledge to actually be the front line? Well, I mean, I think with nurse technicians, they're not so much the uh, front line. I still think nursing is taking the lead on that. Um, you know, we all have scopes of practice that, mm-hmm. you know, we operate out of and, and that we're educated to operate out of. So um, as far as a nurse technician, um, they're still um, guided under the um, nursing um, in, as, as far as instruction. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, even as a nurse when I was a nurse at the bedside, if I had patients that, you know, the nurse technician was going, you know, taking my vital signs, mm-hmm. it didn't remove me from the responsibility of looking at the information and interpreting and making sure that I made the next best decision. So if I looked at a vital sign that didn't seem right to me, I knew that it was my, you know, not only am I responsible, I'm accountable to go back mm-hmm. and make sure I'm getting the correct information and go see the patient. So in that, in that aspect, I don't think that, you know, uh, you know, although they are helping to support and care for the patient, it's, you know, as a nurse, you still have your role. And although, you know, they may be delegated to do some unadditional, um, you know, task of checking vital signs, you know, or helping to, you know, you know, take care of the patient, you know, the nurse is still responsible and accountable for making sure that um, the care is being provided is, is adequate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I agree. And, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate, but from, our standpoint, I mean, clinically, I've seen some stuff that go on on our side. And, you know, I, I love the fact that you guys have actually trained through all of it, right? So you've seen the what nursing was and what it's evolved to. What about the folks who are coming in now who don't have that frame of reference? Do you find there's any kind of disconnect with the newer the newer nursing staff? And, you know, before you answer that question, I'm I'm going to take our next break because I I want you both to be able to answer before the the time runs out. So let's take our second break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Hi, this is Dr. George. I want to thank all my listeners for listening to my show. I'd like you to share it with your friends and become subscribers. And if you miss the show, you can catch it and download it from Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and several other multimedia platforms. You can also find my uh, blog on Medicine on Call on Facebook and my website, DrElenaGeorge.com. Again, thank you for being loyal listeners. Subscribe and share it with your friends. You're listening to Medicine on Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. 
visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. And before the break, we were talking about people who are new to the profession of healthcare and that don't have a frame of reference. Are they part of the whole or do you find that you have to do a little bit more training with them? And not necessarily that you have to do more training. I just think that the framework is different in the sense that sometimes people can compartmentalize, um, you know, the care is, you know, it becomes that, that sometimes it's like this is, you know, person's A's job, this is person B's job. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, making sure we're t- um, checking off of a, of a task list. If you, as a, as a mentor or as somebody who's uh, training, you know, educating the, uh, the new group, we always give them a frame of reference of what, you know, healthcare was years ago and how it's advanced. Just to give them a platform of, you know, this is where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, I think the way um, nursing educators are, are training them, uh, training the nurses, they, they may not have the actual foundational knowledge because they didn't experience it. It's kind of like, hey, back, you know, the quote unquote back in the day, we used to do these things. Exactly. Um, but I think what it is we're using, we're still, we're using evidence-based practices and um, to have people do certain types of procedures. It can be a little challenging just because I think sometimes it may just, for some people, it may just be like, okay, we're do, you know, I'm checking a box off, but I think it's um, for people who are mentors and, um, you know, and they're, um, they're training, um, our, you know, the future nurses, I think it's upon us to make sure that we understand how we get them to perform their job mm-hmm. well and more holistically and looking at the entire picture versus just looking at little parts of the job and not necessarily making sure they connect together. I personally, you know, when I'm interacting with the nurses, I don't see it as much, but like I said, I always take time to make sure that I, I stop and educate and say like, okay, hey, if this is a situation, this is another way that you can look at it just to help them grow and develop. Oh, that's that's teaching, really. What it's supposed to be about, isn't it? I have a provocative question because I'm I'm interested in in knowing what you feel about the hospitals because the hospitals to me have become a little bit too powerful, and they're putting their finger on the scale of healthcare in a way that, in my opinion, is working against patient care. And I think it's also be making doctors and nurses more adversarial, even though it wasn't supposed to be that way. It seems to me that it's becoming a little bit more like that. The scope of practice issue, I'm curious to know what your feelings are about hospitals, especially rural, where I think sometimes people are put in positions because there's not enough help, that they're doing things that may be outside or at the border of their their scope of practice, and they may not feel all that safe doing it. Have you heard of anything in the, in your in your travels and, and what you're dealing with that you think that sometimes hospitals are putting nurses or any other practitioner kind of at the limit of the practice because for the good of the hospital as opposed to, and it's a provocative question, so uh, to what you as a professional should be doing. And I'll let you answer that one first, um, Iris. Certainly, um, from my perspective, I've, I've not seen that, um, you know, in my travel mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, physicians necessarily, you know, asking nurses to do things, you know, outside of their scope. I will say that, you know, there, you know, there is a charge nurse. So, you know, typically when nurses think that, you know, they're being asked to do something um, that is outside of their practice, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, a physician can say, you know, do A, B, C, and D. However, you know, the nurse knows exactly what he or she's scope of practice really is. 
you know, based on, you know, the, 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 everything here in Georgia. So we're very um, keen in terms of knowing, you know, that we should not move forward with something that we're not comfortable with because at the end of the day, it jeopardizes, you know, our licenses. And we, we certainly don't want to do that. So, you know, when that does happen, you know, I know in the past nurses have, you know, gone to the charge nurses and, you know, and escalated it as needed. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that happens as more because as much because, you know, nurses are pretty astute in terms of what they should and, and shouldn't do. So um I've not seen it as much and you know, Beth, I'll I'll you know certainly pass it over to you to see, you know, perhaps in, you know, the APRN role, you know, do you sometimes come up you know, against that with, you know, certain positions that say, well just do this or that, you know, because at you know, again, you know, based on um, your certification, there are certain things that you can and can't do, um, you know, with patients. So I didn't know if you had anything to share. Well, yeah, because, you know, in the hospital, and the, you know, Dr. George, I know you're familiar with the Joint Commission. Mm-hmm. They come into the hospital and routinely evaluate our practices and make sure that, you know, that competencies are documented appropriately for, you know, particular providers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as far as, you know, nursing in the bedside, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to know my scope of practice and what I'm allowed to do. And even as I work with my uh, physician group, you know, there have been plenty of times that I've, you know, evaluated patients and talked to them about, like, hey, all right, I recognize I'm outside, you know, this is not my lane. And, you know, here this is how, you know, and we discuss the patient and, you know, the, the things that we need to do for them to make sure they um, receive the right care. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, because of the fact that I take ownership and knowing exactly what I need to do. And I think most, um, you know, nurses, they will do that and um, will, will advocate for themselves and say, hey, wait, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't feel like this is in my scope. Hey, can we go back and, you know, let's look at the um, the scope of practice and see what, um you know, needs to be done. And, you know, ironically today there was a situation, you know, um, I'm a part of a heart failure specialty team and uh, there we happened to have a patient that was under the age of 18 and there was a consult. So I immediately, you know, called the person's, uh, the, the physician to say, hey, you know what, we have a patient that's here. I cannot see that patient because of my certification. I'm not allowed to manage anybody under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So it's because, you know, I'm aware of what I can do and which was fine and they said no problem. And we made sure that someone that, you know, based off of, you know, certification and, and our scope of practice could go and, and, and provide service for that particular patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, um, you know, like I said, as far as um, in the hospitals, you know, sometimes I think the, the bigger challenges becomes with nurses at the bedside is, uh, you know, the, the patient uh, in the nurse ratio. Sometimes because of, you know, staffing issues, nurses are asked to take on, you know, additional patients. And I think right. that's where that becomes a challenge. And it's making sure that um, as providers, you know, and the staff, they uh, we check acuity for patients to make sure that, you know, years ago, you know, you had nurses that were on the floor, you know, one nurse having 15 patients, you know, having, you know, two mm-hmm. or three technicians, you know, to try to help them manage mm-hmm. those patients, which is just not safe. And, you know, and the, the key is, is just focus on the safety of the patients and make sure that we're following uh, guidelines that, you know, where we are um, uh, the, now one of the things that are going on is about um, safe staff and you have some states that actually mandated um, nurse-patient ratios, right. which, you know, from the American Nurses um, Association standpoint, they don't mandate ratios. It's just making sure that you have safe staffing practices based off of whatever the patient that you're managing and seeing. And so it, it can become a challenge, but I think you have people now in nursing that are willing to advocate 
um, to um, administrators to say that, you know, for safety's sake, we, we can't proceed and do these things because, like I said, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, you know, we're providing the best, you know, quality care, but also make sure it's safe as well for the patients who are the consumers of health care. I totally agree with you. And that's something that you both are really on the forefront of advocacy in legislation and politics, right? Correct. Correct. Are you finding that the legislators are receptive when you go up to the Capitol, for example? Is there is there a committee that you meet with, or do you just have to go out there and beat, <laughs> knock on doors and try to get the word out so that legislators can start helping and, and to make sure that the system works properly for nurses, patients, and physicians? Um, this is Iris. I will you know, certainly start out by saying um, it, it, typically we have done a survey monkey with our association to determine what are, you know, the hot issues that are on the minds of, you know, the nurses in the state of Georgia. So we start there. Then we develop our platform and our priority for the upcoming legislative session. Um, we partner with um, lobbyists. We have a lobbying firm uh, that, you know, our organization works with. And these individuals, you know, have, you know, have really good, you know, reputation down at the Capitol, been able to build relationships. So it's a partnership with um, those individuals that really helped us to have a more successful legislative session um, for 2019, which we're really, really very excited about. Um, as you know, in politics, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, will all of um, your legislators want to hear what, you know, is important or what nurses have to say because, you know, you know, we're all able to go out and advocate for, you know, various issues that are, you know, that we strongly believe in as individuals, but also, you know, we do things on behalf of the organization as well. So there are times that some people are a lot more receptive and, but sometimes, you know, we have to leverage our, our, um, lobbyists because, you know, they have established relationships with some key people. So we do have to be very strategic in terms of the approach to ensure that we're able to get things um, through, certainly improve healthcare for, you know, Georgians as well as to improve the nursing profession overall. Now, there's something called a, a, a unity conference. What is that exactly? Yes. We're really excited because, um, you know, Beth and, you know, and I, we talked at the beginning um, of, of the show. You know, there's so many different levels of nursing, and that's the beauty of nursing, that there's so many different things that you can do, and a lot of um, specialties, subspecialties. So as a result of that, it, you know, nurses are, you know, some of them are part of our larger state organization or even the national organization, but they also have um, memberships. Or, or alliance with their specialty organizations. So that's a lot of, you know, nurses, you know, here in the state doing a lot of different things. We have made a lot of strides in doing here in, in the state of Georgia is to really move towards more unity and really have folks um, partnering with our state organization and, ha- and trying to position it where it's more of the voice and having folks come together so that we are able to be a lot successful as we are unified, as opposed to when we're not, you know, in unison, we're not going to be as successful. So we have started, we started our Unity Conference last year, and we're entitling this um, Wade as a unity movement, where we're trying to get all of our diverse colleagues, no matter what your 
specialty is to come together for our, our um, annual conference that's coming up in, in October. It's going to have a track for the registered nurse. It's going to have a track for the APRN. You know, we also have things for midwives. We have a, a lot of things for everyone. And even the nurse executive as well. Correct. Sounds cool. Um, let's take a last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You can catch the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Subscribe and share it with your friends. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Both of you are part of the Georgia Nurses Association and part of the Board of Directors. Am I correct? Correct. That's correct. And just so, because again, I'm, I'm just to make sure that I'm that I learned something. For an advanced practice nurse, how does that designation differ from a nurse practitioner exactly? Do they have different ability to have a practice standalone without a physician or without being part of a, a physician practice? How, what's the difference with that? So an advanced practice registered nurse is a registered nurse that has at least a master's degree. Okay. And so we have, and within that realm, we have certified um, uh, nurse uh, midwives, we have clinical nurse specialists, and then you have nurse anesthetists as well as you have nurse practitioners. And within nurse practitioners, just depending on, there are some specialties that are just uh, strictly focused on pediatric medicine. There are um, ones like me, I'm a acute care nurse practitioner focusing on more specialized care within the hospital. You have family nurse practitioners, which is the original nurse practitioner program development. And then, you, like I said, you have some people that are more specialized with geriatric care. So just multiple uh, different things as far as specializing for nurse practitioners. In, this, in the state of Georgia, you are allowed. They, uh, we do have nurse practitioners that have uh, clinics. I, I know a nurse practitioner who is in a collaborative agreement with a physician who has an, um, she developed an urgent care clinic um, and targeting um, hours from like 5 p.m. to um, uh, 10 p.m. at night. Um, tr- uh, trying to help uh, uh, families, you know, who have children who have issues and they can't necessarily get to the um, pediatricians or their provider's office, you know, during normal business hours because they have to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but she works with a she has a collaborative practice agreement that's on file with the um, Georgia Board of Medicine, and you know she and so there's a um, a protocol that um, dictates how she practices and, and and when she would have to reach out to the physician to support her if anything happens. So there's specific uh, guidelines, a, contr- a contract of, um, of such that guides um, her practice. So we can't, as, um, a, as an APRN, as a nurse practitioner, we can't have a freestanding clinic without being in a, a collaborative agreement with the physician. What's the liability with that? If there's a, you know, an issue, who is liable? Is it the physician or is it the, the nurse that's, that's taking care of the patient? If there's something that occurs um, within the practice, I mean, both there's liability on both sides. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the nurse practitioner as, you know, the the clinic operator and then obviously the physician who has agreed to enter in um, the collaborative agreement. Um, There are certain things that have to happen um, that uh, there are certain percentage of the charges is typically 10% of charts have to be reviewed Mm -hmm. um, between the um, nurse practitioner and the physician to ensure that, you know, quality care is being um, disseminated, evidence-based care is, is going forward. So um, there's liability that's shared, but it's in a shared agreement. And, of course, in order for her to have a clinic, she has to have, you know, you know, have liability, uh, professional liability coverage as well, he or, uh, she or he, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like I said, um, it, it has to be an, uh, it's an agreement that they uh, both parties will enter into. 
Um, and so there has to be some level of confidence um, for a physician to enter into that agreement to feel comfortable that this um, nurse, uh, nurse practitioner is able to provide um, um, this level of care, understanding that if there's an issue, that there are the protocols that say if, if, you know, certain things happen, that they are referred to the emergency department or referred to, you know, physician for further evaluation and treatment. So, I mean, um, you know, I can understand the concerns, um, you know, from your standpoint, this mm-hmm. position, as far as, you know, how's the liability assessed. Um, but even within the hospital system, you know, um, as a nurse practitioner, I have a DEA um, license. Mm-hmm. And so, but in order for me to um, to prescribe, although I can't um, prescribe narcotics, it controls up narcotics in the state, um, but I have to have an agreement, and I have an agreement that stipulates all the things that I'm able to do under, on, under um, my license. And so, but like I said, um, with the understanding that, you know, I have a good collaborative relationship with my physician group to make sure that before I make any decisions or if I ever have any concerns, I'm, I'm, you know, in constant contact. And the key thing is that, you know, we are using evidence-based guidelines, you know, guideline-directed therapies. And so, I'm you know, I'm using the same guidelines that um, they utilize as well to manage our patient population. So it's, um, unfortunately, I know there's, you know, there may be, you know, obviously there's the, uh, the stories that, you know, are, that some, you know, nurse practitioner may have done something wrong, just like, you know, you know, physicians practicing mm-hmm. outside of scope, you know, not outside mm-hmm. of scope, but, out, you know, causing some problems as right. well. Um, you know, we all can account for those, you know, those stories, but mm-hmm. for the most part, we all, you know, like I said, we work collaboration together. You know, we understand that as a nurse practitioner, I understand that my practice and how I uh, operate is, to- is dependent upon um, a good physician relationship. And, you know, because of the type of nurse practitioner that I've become is because I've had great physicians that have helped uh, train me along the way. So, you know, we don't, um, you know, as far as when there's scope of practice discussions and issues that are going on, it's not that we were trying to remove the physician from the process. It's just, you know, we have been trained to a certain level to be able to provide care Mm -hmm. and, you know, along with our physician colleagues. Do you foresee or is there a movement at all to become autonomous so that the nursing staff or the nursing profession can see patients and not have physicians as part of their uh, treatment uh, team? No, not so much. I think the, the, big, the big thing with scope of practice is, is that we just, all we're saying is we have a natural collaborative agreement and you no know, practice between nurse practitioner and physician. We're just saying that it doesn't have to be legislated. And when you look at the, um, you know, one of the things that was brought up to the, um, the state capitol was that, um, nurse practitioners, um, we can only order, uh, x-rays, um, uh, x-rays and CT scans in event of an emergency. Mm-hmm. And it came up to say, hey, you know, can, you know, can we do this a part of our routine practice? And, um, you know, one of the key things that never got brought out was that, you know, when we order, um, any kind of test, you know, uh, radiologic, uh, exam or test, we're ordering it based off of, you know, what we're assessing. You know, if someone comes in, you know, uh, with a, a headache, you know, and, you know, obviously it's a headache and, you know, they're having vision changes or things and we're concerned of a stroke, you know, as part of the headache, you know, the, a CAT scan would be ordered. Now, if the person came in as an emergency, you know, having stroke systems, we could order the CAT scan. But if they were coming in just as a routine follow-up, the process now is that, you know, we would have to call the physician, you know, and just say, hey, this is what's going on in the position. We have to provide an order for it. Um, in order to uh, just continue with uh, patient care and not impede the flow of care, mm-hmm. 
what we're looking to do is to say, hey, look, you know, can we go ahead and order the CAT scan? And so, and in that process, and just like, you know, you order tests, sometimes you have to have talk to the insurance company and say, right. hey, this is the diagnosis. This is why I need to order. Because that, you know, hey, are we able to do it? But the reality is the gatekeeper is the insurance company. Always. You know, if we can't, exactly, if we can't prove, you know, to them while we're ordering the test, they don't approve it. And, you know, or they make, or, you know, they now make recommendations because I make a phone call to get a test approved for my position. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll make a phone call and they, they'll say, like, well, based off of this, this, you know, test, the test that you order is not appropriate. <laughs> or we don't feel it's appropriate is this test. Yeah, I know and that. So you have to go back. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So you have to go back and forth and, and, you know, have a tug of war to get the test that you know that is appropriate for what you're trying to manage and treat. So um, there's so many, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, not unfortunately, but there are a lot of safeguards, you know, to protect the patients to make sure that we're not over, you know, utilizing tests that are not appropriate, you mm-hmm. know, that we're not ordering labs that are inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just to go back again, it's not that we're trying to be freestanding. We don't need the physician. We, we fully understand that, you know, our practice doesn't work without a, a physician collaboration. It just, like I said, just pretty much we don't need it. It, we don't feel like because we're taught that this is a collaboration process, we don't see the need for it to be legislated. And many states um, outside of Georgia don't have this, um, the restrictions that the state of Georgia has. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like I said, it, you know, our goal as nursing is to, you know, is to make sure that patients receive, you know, quality, safe care. And so, you know, there's no... Um, we're not trying to go out there and just saying we don't need the physicians. We absolutely do. Um, so like I said, but it's just a collaborative partnership to work with them. That's good to know. I think that is, it's communication. I don't think that there's enough communication between our professions, frankly, you know, and I think that we're being in some instances pitted against each other. And we all want the same thing, which is to deliver excellent patient care. And everybody has a role to play. And it's, it's, collaborative. It's integrated. Nobody's doing one thing and, and taking it away from somebody else kind of thing. I, I mean, I really love the Absolutely. fact. I, I love that, actually. Um, I know that we have a couple minutes left to go, and I'm curious to know a little bit more about your updates that you're doing with um, that's coming, the legislative updates in 2019. Anything really exciting? Yes. Um, this is Iris. We had a very successful um, legislative session. So the governor has signed in, into law actually um, House Bill 287, which is what we call PTIP. And it, he signed it into law on March 5th and well, actually passed on March 5th and it was signed into law by the governor back in April. And what this does, and, and you know, certainly Beth, you can add to the discussion as you see fit. Um, what happens today with advanced practice, um, you know, nurses or even PAs, there is a process in which they have to identify, um, you know, someone, a physician that a licensed physician that they can work with um, for additional training and mentoring and things like that. So there was legislation that, you know, had been around for a number of sessions and, you know, wasn't successful previously, but this time, you know, we're able to pull it across the line. Mm-hmm. And what this does is that it creates a new income tax credit for licensed physicians, you know, who would agree to work with advanced practice registered nurses or physician assistants, um, you know, to serve as a preceptor mm-hmm. um, for those individuals. So we're really excited about that because 
what happens is they, um, these individuals have to go out and find their own preceptors and they paint them. Um, so it, what that really created was a bottleneck of getting more um, ATRNs or advanced practice nurses and TAs into practice because there are only so many um, folks that you can find and so many that you can pay. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do was to incentivize and encourage um, additional, um, you know, physicians to help out and, and be able to, you know, step up and, and help keep um, these folks that are graduating from our school in our state to help out with, you know, supporting and, and helping out Georgians that really need um, health care. It's a good idea. And also, and also what is done um, with this particular legislation cycle is allowed for um, nurse practitioners or APRNs in general and um, also uh, physician assistants to be able to um, get benefit of the tax credit by taking on um, uh, nurse practitioner students and um, physician assistant students to be able to help, like I said, educate um, those who go to schools in, in, in Georgia. And as part of the rollout, what they're doing now is if you are a student that's in a, uh, a Georgia nurse practitioner or physician assistant program, those are the ones that uh, you will receive the uh, tax incentive credit as long as you're not receiving compensation for helping educate these students. Like I said, you would be um, eligible for the compensation. Um, for the tax credit. That's a really good idea. Because what was happening, yeah, folks were coming from other states, you know, trying to find, um, you know, preceptors here. So what that did was not, uh, you know, allow for, you know, our students that were here in the state um, to find, you know, preceptors. So, you know, we, you know, something we were really thought really hard on and um, we're just really excited that it moved forward. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent, that's a, that's a win. <laughs> good luck. Congratulations on that. <laughs> We have about a, a minute left. Is where can people find find your information? Is there a website or any kind of organization that allows people to read what you do, join? I mean, as physicians, I I love the fact that we I, I learned more about what you do, and I'm really impressed. And now that I know, I'm going to be a lot more amenable because we all want the same thing. Honestly, we all need to make sure that that's the forefront. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. It is a partnership, and, you know, we're all in this together. Um, we're all are a part of the healthcare team, so we really appreciate, um, you know, your acknowledgement of that, um, you know, Dr. George. And, you know, folks can find additional information at association.org. And so my information is listed there as well as, as Beth. We encourage folks to go on, check out our website, sign up for various committees. I lead a legislative um, committee meeting, um, and we meet every week. Week during the session, we are lobbying for a piece of legislation, and we want the members to outreach to folks on a various committee or their own um, elected officials and say vote yay or vote nay. We do it via a um, call to action. So we do a lot of that important work during that legislative committee when we meet on a weekly basis, and we're able to send out quick updates so folks know exactly what's happening and how they can get involved. Time just flies. I want to thank you both for coming on. I learned a great deal. I know my listeners did too. And I look forward to having you back on whenever new, something new comes down the pipe that you've managed to successfully implement. Well, thank, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. You're my pleasure. And thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.